0: Another week on the podcast, Chandler. Yep, we we had a Paradise. interesting episode last week. It was just only about Twin Peaks, which is which is
1: if last last time we checked was number twelve on the BFI top one hundred. I think was the Return. I don't remember. I Thought it was number two. It might have been. It might right been. below Citizen Kane. No, no, no. That was the old list. The new one's Gooby, and then right below that is the Return.
0: Oh, Gooby. Yeah, we that's right. Gooby. I forgot. Yeah so it's, it's the hidden gem classic Club. That,
1: only three people own it yeah it's exclusive two of them are bfi yeah. critics the third one's nick johnson
0: mm. so this week we have last week was an interesting episode because we didn't do a bfi movie um you can't
1: just talk about twin peaks in
0: what 30 minutes no you just can't you yeah, just can't i mean it's true you can't it I, it really was like where did the time go
1: i i'm surprised we got 90 minutes out of it and i still wasn't even close
0: so last week was a bit of a weird episode this week is also going to be a bit of a weird episode because we're going to begin we usually do the uh, new movie first and then the bfi movie second but this week we're going to be doing the bfi movie first because of our guest this week uh, this week we have a guest who's actually been on the podcast before. Yes, what was but that episode? episode number? Was lost. Ah, that yes. was episode 13. Oh, okay. Awesome. Which our actual episode 13, if you ever bothered to, to look, I didn't. Was called uh F or zero for episode 13. Oh, because uh, like we like, yeah. we failed
1: at <laughs> it. Oh, and it so, was also zero for conduits. Yes,
0: yeah, it was. It, it worked out perfectly. Um, but we have we we have scheduled this guest to reappear, and we may or may not publish that other episode eventually. Um, audio quality issues, but notwithstanding, it it is a perfectly fine episode. So this week we have our another good friend from film school, our friend Brenton Bender, who is currently a undergrad no, graduate no, graduate a student. graduate film student at USC Film School, uh, which is very cool say hi to the folks brenton very cool hello everybody happy to be here we're happy to have you back on and for the the first first time time and the second time (laughs) and here to talk about uh our bfi movie of the week which is michael powell and emmerich pressburger's a matter of life and death the second of their movies on this list and Whoa. last, I believe. Really? Well, what was the first? Not the Red Shoes? Red Shoes? Yeah, I officially, I have officially confirmed that the Red Shoes are for some reason no not on this list. Weird. Nowhere what? to be seen. That's interesting. So one of these weeks we'll have to schedule that in as just... Uh, the other we'll movie, uh,
1: Brenton, was uh, Life and Death of Colonel Blimp. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which I can but understand because I mean, that one is unabashedly British. Which yeah. maybe that's why they went with
0: it. <laughs> So the British Film Institute has to vote for it.
2: I, I just, I, I would have thought The Red Shoes is one of those things that's on all of these uh, favorite lists. It's always yeah, really well known filmmakers. So yeah, I, I just assumed
1: the, the director's I, I list. I would have thought that definitely. if
0: any of their films, The Red Shoes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, but... as long as we got the one, I, yeah. I subscribe to the belief that it should be one film per director, but Jacob does not.
0: No, I think that's ridiculous. But to uh, be
1: fair, there are two. There's, you know. Yeah, there's two. uh, There are two. one for each. Uh, Yeah, just like I'd put two Coen Brothers movies on the list. Well, it's one of those
0: things where, like, let's say you run out of good movies by good directors and you're picking lesser quality films just because you've already picked good like great films. Well, I don't know. From... There's a
1: lot of good movies from decent directors, but that's not what we're talking about.
0: No, we're not. All right. Um since Brenton is our guest, maybe maybe you'd like to introduce the movie. Um and if you'd like to say anything else about yourself that I might have not covered.
2: Oh no, it, you said plenty, plenty. Okay. You want to remain uh, anonymous. But yeah, uh, a Matter of Life and Death is a a film directed by um our, our esteemed filmmakers, Michael Powell and Emmer uh, Pressburger. And uh, it, it follows a World War II British pilot who uh, is supposed to die at the end of uh, World War II, but he gets lost in the fog, uh, and he ends up uh, waking up on a beach, and then he falls in love with an uh, American uh what would you call her, a radio,
0: a radio, uh, technician, radio, operator, operator,
2: operator. Um, and then, uh, the rest of the movie is him pleading his case with, uh, the angels and the powers that be that, uh, he should, uh, be free to, uh, live his life and, uh, be with the one he loves rather than, uh, go up to heaven and it's wonderful it's it's the best uh pp film (laughs) in my opinion
0: (laughs) okay so uh chandler your your general thoughts
1: general it's good i liked it i think a huge part of why i liked it um and this is mainly to i first of all i find the lead actor peter carter you know that guy David Niven? Yeah. He gives Colonel Blimp a run for his money as far as most <laughs> British person ever put to film. I think he's just so... He's such a gentleman. He's so soft-spoken but eloquent. But what I really enjoyed was the fact that he told... I, I don't know the actor's name. I'm just going to call him Colonel Blimp. He told... Roger Col- Livesey. So, yeah, he told Colonel Blimp that he saw... um he went to heaven or whatever, or no, that he was supposed to die. And he's seeing this weird Frenchman from beyond, uh, in heaven or whatever. And I just love that the movie is just like, Oh, okay. And believes him. I feel like any (laughs) other lesser movie would be like, this guy is crazy, but no, he tells him I'm seeing a Frenchman who stops time. And they're like, okay, let's try to solve this. I,
0: so a matter of life and death is pretty great. Um, I cannot say it's my favorite Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger film. I probably like The Red Shoes and Colonel Blimp a bit more. Um, but this viewing was particularly interesting in that I liked it more than my first viewing. So it jumped up. Just my like audiences. Colonel Blimp. Yeah, it, <laughs> that usually happens on second viewings for me. But one of the things that really stuck out to me this time was how simple and how quick the movie goes.
1: It, yeah, it does. It feels Definitely. really short yes yeah. yeah.
0: Like you, the climax of the film is, you know, he goes to heaven to plead his, his case and you're there just like that. Like there's not that much going on before you get to that that kind of main set piece at the end which is mm-hmm. which is interesting. It's it's a well-paced film, particularly for the time that it was made in. I think uh I definitely still like this or uh Colonel kind of Blimp
1: a little bit more. I think a main reason as to why that is is I love the first two acts. I love I especially love the opening scene. It is a great hook to this movie and I really enjoyed just the way that I love the set design of the plane. I love how he casually observes that his co-pilot is dead. You get a sense of who this guy is just from how formally he in composed he is in almost imminent death. Uh, but yeah. I think when he gets up to heaven, or when the trial starts, it becomes less of a case for this guy <laughs> and more of a roast of England.
2: No, but that—that's the—that's the brilliance of the movie because it, it's—I mean, at the at its centerpiece, I I think it's a um, propaganda film as to why America should team up with Britain moving forward after the war, uh, because they basically set up. Uh, this super racist American (laughs) (laughs) uh, saying all these reasons why uh, Britain is bad and uh, the U.S. should just be on its own and David Niven's character uh, should be killed and uh, not be with the U.S. um, protagonist. But then you have uh, this British person fighting for uh, equality and... um, the cohesion of the two nations in uh, this beautiful love story. Uh, and it really kind of encapsulates the story of post-World War II, uh, U.S. and uh, United Kingdom's um, cooperation with with the free world and uh, dealing with the aftermath of Europe.
0: You know, it's really weird watching this today because the idea that there would even need to be a propaganda film that to bring us closer together Yeah, is kind of absurd. Cause you're like, w- we're, we're already close. What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> we were close during world war two. What? I don't know. Right. And yeah. let's not pull any punches. I mean, great Britain certainly does not have a good track record when it comes to, uh, Oh. Nations around the world, <laughs> developing nations. This is pre- still, it, well, yeah, it's still developing for yes. for reasons that may be related to <laughs> which the I UK.
1: enjoyed that because it was it was like essentially a good five to ten minutes of all of the the victims of British imperialism just sort of roasting England, and I understand the the idea behind it being a, a more unifying message. But the first two acts don't really deal with that. They're more about this contained story about this guy who should have died but didn't. And it's this great little fantasy story about the afterlife communicating with the real world. And then when they get up to the trial, the trial doesn't even become about this anymore. It's about just England in general. Which I understand that getting over that American... Um, lawyers like prejudice of england is part of the story but i just felt like it took a little bit too long and delved into something that wasn't adequately set up in the first two acts Mm. but the thing is is like just because it deviates from what it was before is i i don't think that deviation is necessarily bad because i did find it very entertaining and i thought it was you know it was a pretty uh pointed um message especially coming from british filmmakers and you know when we learned a little bit about what happened behind the scenes when they tried to incorporate a lot of the real world politics of nazi germany into colonel blimp i definitely feel as though that message was genuine it's just that it doesn't really align with the first two parts of the movie But, you know, it does eventually come full circle and become more about Peter again. It's just that little deviation is what keeps it from being perfect to me. But Mm -hmm. one thing I did love, I loved the look of the uh, the afterlife trial or courtroom. I loved just how many people were there.
0: Um, I loved the big stairs. It's a very imaginative movie in that sense. Another thing, so I noticed... The two things I really noticed this time around were the pacing of the film, but also uh, on a first viewing, I think it's easy to see the events play out as, you know, he's actually being pulled to heaven. Like heaven is actually a real place. Yeah. Right. Mm. And I think much more on the second viewing, I realized how much the film presents that as an ambiguity as it is very much. Probably more inside of his mind and a yeah. projection of him because the the film sets him up as a poet, as someone who's who's very kind of artistic and intellectual in his head. And then puts this uh, imagining of heaven of, you know, the very first scene is him, his buddy who died on the plane waiting for him. And that seems like a very logical thing of like, you've passed out, you're you're falling from an airplane. And you think about the the last person you you saw is like, he's going to heaven. He's waiting for you. And then he wakes up. Um, and it's just interesting that the the film, it's probably one of the first films to do this. Also, maybe Dr. The, the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari of like blurring the line between what is reality in the film and what isn't of you can very much look at the film as, oh, that's actually heaven. But. It's also very interesting to look at as a a, um, projection of him and as a British person, his ideas of all these people. Okay, see, I I get that. But I feel like
1: the the extent to which Colonel Blimp takes part in this trial kind of disproves that it's a projection now stop me if if you didn't think this but when he when the other pilot goes up to heaven and they're talking about uh, or they realize that there's been a mistake and peter didn't go up there they refer to this mistake as something that's only happened one other time before and the fact that colonel blimp just seems to get right on board with this whole uh, afterlife. Dr. Reeves. Yeah. Okay. He's doc- Dr. <laughs> Reeves. The fact that Dr. Reeves is so invested in this from the get go. Did you ever at one point think that Dr. Reeves was maybe the person, the first mistake, and he's the guy who's been living out on earth, avoiding the, uh, the sentencing.
2: Oh, okay. I never thought of it that I always thought, um, he was just a genuinely good doctor and he had the best bedside manner one could have what? and he, yes. t- he took david niven at his word <laughs> when david niven said he, he was seeing a uh 1700s frenchman uh, yes stop time and talk to him
0: okay but i read that more as like he's a doctor who knows that these kind of psychosis things that happen inside of the brain yeah mm-hmm. like he's not treating him as a crazy person he is crazy but treating him with like respect and like he's actually Seeing yes. these, things. so you think he played by, by along the way, with dignity? Yeah.
2: They they based uh, Doctor Reeves' character off of Michael Powell's uh, brother-in-law, who was a neurosurgeon in the oh. 1940s, and and Michael Powell went to many uh, brain surgeries and just learned all this stuff about uh, neuroscience um, that he used uh, with Emmerich Pressburger in writing the, the story and all of, uh, Dr. Reeves dialogue. Interesting.
0: Dr. Reeves is a great, great character. I was really, Oh, he's one of my great. Problems with the film is I was like, I was sad when the, the film contrived to get him dead. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, well, oh, I didn't want him to go. Don't die. I Dr. loved Reeves.
1: this. The French guy. <laughs> I thought the French it's, guy was pretty great. It's too.
0: made up of a lot of like really interesting caricatures,
2: yeah. but they're mm-hmm. also
0: characters in their own right. Um, but yeah, we were discussing the the reality of the the film.
2: There, there's a bunch of like little uh, side background uh, <laughs> historical figures that just pop up too. If you watch the um, the the big uh, all, all of the uh, congressional uh, people walking in to the uh, the actual. Uh, judgment oh yeah 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 there there's random uh historical figures that they just place throughout which so. I I
1: enjoyed that they didn't put a lot of attention on to those people because mm-hmm. I feel like any other film would be like oh here's Genghis Khan oh here's uh, Benjamin yeah. Franklin I also f- always find it interesting to see a a non-american country's depiction of Americans and yeah. I thought the depiction <laughs> of the American lawyer was pretty accurate yeah <laughs> guy seemed like kind of a well, dick
2: the the first uh american that's not june that you see goes straight for uh, a coca-cola can <laughs> in heaven and just starts drinking it and then walks up and uh demands that they get treated yeah. the best possible way. oh you're
1: talking about those soldiers up in heaven? yeah the, oh, the soldiers yeah. that
2: yeah that's right yep. the
0: fighter pilots yeah they're very they're very it's interesting how because i came to this conclusion that it must be a projection of uh, David Niven's uh, consciousness mm. in that the way that heaven is portrayed um, and the way that heaven is portrayed is very much unheavenlike. in the way that, you know, it looks idyllic, but looks everyone clean. there still very much has the prejudices yeah. and the influences of their past lives where, you know, the, All the soldiers from World War II, they sit together Mm -hmm. and they all come together and arrive in heaven in in like their their packs of uh, in their specified areas. And I'm like, if you were imagining heaven, I'm pretty sure that most people who do don't think of it as maybe they do. Maybe maybe I'm being more more uh looking at it from like a standpoint of today yeah of where we're much more of an egalitarian society and there aren't divisions as strong divisions but i would think that heaven would be a place where those divisions don't exist yeah Mm. that it doesn't matter who you are and that once you have died you don't the american who prosecute tries to prosecute him would not hold that grudge in such a beautiful place for so long, yeah. They, and it they, must uh, be a projection in order in order to make sense of it in my own mind. Mm-hmm. It the only way it made sense was like, oh, it must be a projection of this British man who just is thinking about <laughs> the U.S. in this way. And yeah, yeah. There,
2: know. there's a few times that they uh, they take jabs at uh, the nineteen forties U.S. <laughs> because um, when uh, uh Falcon, what what's his name? Um
1: Which one is that? Which Farland?
2: The I think second... his name's right The the Bostonian. Um, oh, the I think, lawyer? I think his name's are, yeah, whoever, the, yeah. the, yeah, the yeah, guy Farland. that's a super the who, racist. The guy who was
1: shot the first shot by the British. The first yes. dead. Yeah,
2: yeah, okay. Um when he's talking about uh American freedoms and liberties, uh <laughs> they will cut to African-American soldiers sitting in the pews, (laughs) uh, just like disdain on their faces. Well, I love it because not
1: only, I mean, it's Africa, especially at that time was someone was a country that was sort of being taken advantage by everyone. But I love that they're front row watching these two people who have more than anyone imperialized their country. I just thought it was funny. Um, but here's here's my question. Um, why do you think heaven is black and white in this movie?
0: A, a style choice to separate it from the real world?
1: Which I get um, that, but the color itself, you, you typically... Again, this is going off of our modern day conception of heaven. But you typically picture it as something more than real, you know? And it was. I found the design to heaven to be kind of strange. It was weirdly clinical. It was utopian. It's very cli- modern. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, modernist it, in that it, it it didn't feed into the uh, religious stereotypes yeah, that no, you'd see in like
1: no clouds, probably uh, like gates. big pearly
2: gates yep, or anything. Yep. It's it's very um. Yeah. Very, they almost very use like not utopian. quite but like
0: Art Deco kind mm-hmm. of the way that people in the forties were like projecting yeah. onto like, what would modern look like for them? Yeah.
2: Which I, I think they chose black and white uh, for heaven mainly because they wanted the very stark contrast. You're, you're either alive or you're dead and in heaven it's going to be black and white and in real life that's going to be in color because People know color. color. Yeah. yeah, we we see yeah. in color, uh, so we know very... that life is in color, but we don't know what the afterlife yeah. looks like. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, um, I think it was just I, when, a good way to separate the two.
0: When Chandler said that he would have thought that like heaven would have been more, all I could think about is when you like pull a saturation filter onto <laughs> a Photoshop image and then just crank it all the way up to hundred and all the all the colors just like
2: blow out.
1: All I'm saying is and, that like, that's, that's that's real that's Michael, that's Michael Bay, Bay might know colors what it looks are blown like exactly michael bay I, I wonder
2: what michael bay would say if um he went back to the 1940s and 50s and looked at technicolor film and said yeah just up the saturation <laughs> and they look at him. and they say, what do you mean he would up the <laughs> saturation this, this is the most vibrant
1: color we got he would up the saturation and then he would have hand uh peter david a bud light yeah. <laughs> and there you go i will admit i i will admit to my sins i watched this on youtube and the quality was Aww. not great. Yeah, I, it's <laughs> it's
0: hard to find.
1: I was I, surprised. I thought it was on Criterion because that's where I watched Colonel Blimp, and then it I was on find... Criterion
0: at one point. Was it? it? Okay, was removed. I, and... There
1: isn't a Blu-ray, is there?
0: It's not there on is. Amazon Prime, which is surprising.
2: I own the Criterion Blu-ray. Oh, do you? That's a good, I watched it. Good cover. Know. Yeah,
1: well, great cover. I you know I'm trying to get like one Blu-ray every two weeks while the sale's going on. I was gonna get Colonel Blimp next, but I kind of want to get this just to rewatch it because I, I feel like especially the quality of the video I was watching, which wasn't terrible, was wasn't great because I immediately watched like the 4K restoration trailer after I mm-hmm. saw it, and I'm like, oh, this looks even this looks amazing in the 4K trailer.
2: So I think there's some beautiful cinematography in it.
0: Well,
1: even.
2: There's a really beautiful So
0: here's the thing. We just we came from Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, which has a very it's technicolor, it's very but it's also stagey. It's almost like T V yeah. in a yeah. way. How you might imagine it. And Life and Death of Colonel Blimp is interesting because it has a lot of that too. Especially I mean, in the also, real world stuff. Especially yeah, in like the they're opening They're known scene the for play. Yeah, the Michael Powell and Eric Pressburger are known for using technicolor in particular. Yeah. This particular way of of Film and combining the three colors to make, you know, actual uh, color film. Um, and the way that that looks in some scenes looks a lot like Colonel Blimp, where it's very stagey. And there are one or two shots where I might even call it bad cinematography, wow. although <laughs> wow. I can't fault it for that.
1: Yeah, you, to um, be fair, you and then be. there's
0: other shots, particularly some of like the matte painting shots and some of like the 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 larger scale things where also in the, in the doctor's observatory. Yeah, where yeah. He's looking out on the village and then there's a shot where he opens up the door to let her in. And there's, it's just black frame with, and it's a frame within a frame. Mm-hmm. And there's some shots like that that are just gorgeous and like really cinematic. But it's interesting that the film like kind of bridges those two versions of, uh, Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger, where it's very stagey, very TV-esque mm-hmm. kind of from yeah. our perspective these days to something that's very cinematic, matte painting. and I really
1: like that TV-ish different. look, though, as far as the set yeah, design. I'm not goes. complaining yeah, about yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. I'm just describing I, it that way. I think this film has one of the greatest transitions to heaven that has ever been depicted in film, right. which is the, Remind me the about... eyelid closed shot.
0: Oh, oh, that, oh my God. That freaked me. I hated it. (laughs) It was great. Like, don't get me wrong. But when it goes into his eye. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Something with eyes. And then it it. just desaturates
2: into black and white. Yeah.
0: It's, uh, let me also say that this is another, the opening sequence of this film where it's floating through space and it's the voiceover. Mm -hmm. It's, it's really kind of low tech visual effects by today's standards Mm. um and it's like this is almost like the like those shots of space almost like the precursor to 2001 yeah Yeah. and then 2001 is a precursor to like interstellar today of like i'm not talking about quality here chandler calm your shit (laughs) i'm just talking about like quality of the portrayal of space and this is like they just drew space and yeah. then panned the camera. Across. I didn't like that, though. Yes. but it
2: works. I, I thought it worked, particularly on a they, second time They did time it in, in two panes. Uh, they had a couple uh, dots that they used as stars in the foreground that they would uh, pan a little bit faster <laughs> than the background. <laughs> I don't mind the and look would...
1: of the of space. I just hated the opening text. I don't think mm. it added much, but I th- I, I think it, it's just very tale esque. Yeah, it in, is in its delivery. And that's why I kind of I forgive a lot of earlier movies for these kinds of things, but
2: ugh. it's like um, once upon a time and Nazi occupied France, like ah, the, the yeah. start of Inglorious Bastards*. Yeah,
0: it's it's you know you can forgive earlier films for these kinds of things, if the story yes. and yes. everything is working because mm. we've talked plenty about films like intolerance amongst others oh, that you know are innovative and do interesting things but ultimately by today's standards you have to judge it by today's standards because that's the only thing you know going forward you have to you can't always judge the past by the past yeah mm-hmm. and it's easy to just like some people might want to like rebel against that like oh we have to look at it from that perspective but i think when you you look at it from the idea that there's films like a matter of life and death and casablanca citizen kane that still work so well today so Mm. well despite the time they were made in that i don't think you can really defend other movies that don't work as well but are still held up because of some technical innovation they had yeah i don't think you can defend those films as well when you have films like this Effort because the story works.
1: effort ages better than anything, and even if it doesn't look great, as long as you can tell a lot of time went into it, I think that that's when it works its best. Effort and story, effort and story. Yes, well, you know, story takes effort,
0: and you know, this is just a film about the true love transcending time and space, essentially. Yes, which it's very wholesome when you get down. To it, it
1: is, and I think a huge part of it. Again, I cannot stress the lead actor's performance enough. I loved him. Almost as almost as much as I loved Colonel Blimp, in Colonel Blimp, not in this movie. <laughs>
2: da- David Niven is probably my favorite, uh, golden age British actor. He because he he's so charming, and and polite and nice, and he has that that British quality about him without having the stiff upper lip. Yeah. that they got like in the '60s and '70s. Yeah,
1: I just love. He's so calm. Through mm-hmm. everything. Through the beginning when his plane's being taken down. In the middle when the Frenchman is telling him he's going to heaven and going to die. He's just <laughs> always like, wait, hold on. Wait. No. Can I get my whiskey shots back? <laughs> Let me have those back? Uh, wonderful. Uh, yeah, I still like Colonel Blimp though. A little bit more. This is great, though. I enjoyed this.
0: So, if you're to put into words, Brenton, why is this one of your favorite movies?
2: Uh... I, I just think it, it has a holistic view on the human experience. Uh, and it it doesn't pull punches in terms of um, picking sides. It just says we're, we're all in this together and we all should get along. And really, there are no bad guys. There, there are some people that have major prejudices That's in true. the movie. That is true. Obviously. But they're, I love movies that... Don't paint a, a black and white, bad guy, good guy picture. Um, it's just everyone's trying to live their life, uh, and, and some people uh, step on other people's toes, but in the end, uh, we can all get along, and what really matters is true love.
0: In English, the was the American ideals! <laughs> One thing that I don't think <laughs> aged well was the... Ironically, the the climax of the film where true love is supposed to save the day, where mm-hmm. the the staircase is going back up, mm-hmm. and it's the idea they had was that true love stops the staircase, but like the camera just kind like, of like the there's a lot it, of weird Dutch angles in
2: this movie. But
0: like if you were doing it today, like you like an you would think that they could like shake the camera a bit more. <laughs> right like i didn't get the feeling that the staircase stopped it just was like you oh, know that
2: that's uh, stopped escalator um was an actual thing that they built uh around like the the map paintings of the statues in space behind them but uh apparently it was the loudest thing that uh <laughs> the, the uk studios ever built uh, and oh god all the audio was unusable in any of the <laughs> shots you see it moving i'm sure i would so just love the, the fact that it that it was a little janky um i i give him a pass i would just
1: love to be there or hear the raw audio where you see just try to hear those two actors <laughs> deliver their british lines over that
2: the the best uh line readings in this um are the the French collector character that the, the hmm. angel like seventy one or whatever his uh, number is? Yeah. Uh, when he's yelling Peter, as as Peter runs Peter, down the stairs, Peter, Peter, Peter <laughs> come back. And then the um, the the silent interaction between David Niven and his um, pilot friend uh, when they see each other in the the end. They have like a um, oh the, uh the, the most bizarre, like, shaka-bra um, <laughs> communication between each other that, that <laughs> is reminiscent of, like, Bill and Ted, where, where they, they don't care about, like, the conflict of the situation and what the stakes are. They're just happy to see each other.
1: It's wholesome. It's nice. It is. It's it, nice. Yes.
2: Yeah.
0: So the question is, uh, this is on the BFI mm-hmm. – this is on the BFI Top 100 list. Does it deserve to be here? Yes. <laughs> Chandler. Well, you
1: know I subscribe to the one director per list rule, so I'm going to say no. But that doesn't mean it's a bad movie. Wait,
2: did uh, was this ranked above? This was uh, this Life was ranked above the- Colonel Blood.
1: Yeah.
0: So okay. on my on my list. There were a bunch of ties on the BFI list, so a bunch of them are listed, like if a bunch of them got the same amount of vote, they'd all be listed as number 80 okay. on the list, Interesting. and it just skipped to the next number, like 85, because mm. there were four ties. Mm-hmm. So I got rid of that, just because we needed to have an order. Right. Um. So this isn't the actual place, but on this adjusted list, it's number, A Matter of Life and Death is number 92 on the Critics list, and uh the life and death of colonel blimp is number 97 also on the critics list there are no michael powell and emmerich pressburgers on the i find
2: that so hard to believe wow yeah i know i especially
0: the red shocks
2: yeah i I would think red shoes would be a a top 60 film of all time for at least for the directors directors.
1: because i feel like every director at some point is named it's quoted so
2: much yeah I've
1: never seen it and I was excited to watch it but now I'll just have to watch it on my own time yeah now
2: now, now you'll just have to watch it after you're done with it now
1: movie. I don't have any contractual obligations to watch this movie.
2: <laughs> there there is a a montage sequence a dancing montage sequence in the red shoes that is some of the greatest filmmaking ever made so i don't I don't agree with it <laughs> uh, but I'm not gonna say that it's it's wrong because you know so many films we we have a, over 100 years of cinema so. that's true
0: yeah it here's the thing i think that we're so used to hearing about the red shoes particularly from filmmakers like martin scorsese who's probably mm-hmm. the the biggest and loudest proponent of oh, that yeah. film i think he's on the commentary and he does an introduction and he's same just with on colonel bludge of special features yeah and he's so loud about it that we hear about it more than maybe a lot of directors do Mm. Um I'd be curious I need to look at this cuz the I don't know if I ever told Chandler this or if Chandler ever figured it out on his own the you can see who voted on what Wh- who, you what critics voted on what movies what directors voted on what movie on the BFI website and I I link to that every episode in the show notes just for pe- so people know um it's, and I usually look and usually so far the bottom list I have yet to recognize a critic except for Last week or the week before, whenever we did uh, *Intolerance*, and I recognized Armin White. Oh, who? Not for that's not his for favorite good movie. Reasons. It's his favorite movie. <laughs> uh,
1: I just want to say, I, th- this this whole the the absence of the Red Shoes is funny to me because I can just picture Martin Scorsese going up to the BFI with his copy of the Red Shoes on Blu-ray, and he's like, "Consider this," and they're like, "Nah, Invitation of Life." <laughs> is, Much better film. <laughs>
2: Is any uh, Martin Scorsese picture on the BFI top one hundred? I don't think so. Is Raging Bull or Yeah, Goodfellas? oh yeah, We've Taxi got Driver,
0: Raging Bull, Taxi uh, Driver, Bull. Goodfellas.
2: Hey, I mean,
0: that's it. <laughs> They're all fairly high up. There's no Cowens I, on the
2: list. I, if you asked him, I bet he would be up for. Removing one of his films and, and putting the red shoes back on oh, the definitely. list. most definitely, yes. Uh, it, wait, wait. The red Replace... shoes has one of the greatest character flaws. In like,
1: as in the Some... character itself is written badly, or the flaw. No, is no. The character
2: compelling? has one of the the greatest flaws that feeds into the story.
0: Oh, does she barf when she lies? <laughs> <laughs> What's his name again? The the actor that I love so much, Anton Walbrook his character i mentioned this before in our matter of uh no not a matter of life no. life and death of colonel blimp uh all these titles with life in them from them but um is he the anton general? walbrook his character in uh the red shoes i think is one of my favorite
2: not villains not necessarily antagonists
0: but he, someone he's just who a, is
2: a man that likes control and then he got it taken he's, he's a, a
0: force to be reckoned with in the yes. film like
2: he's not an antagonist
0: he's not someone who is against yeah, I, the protagonist another it's very interesting that
2: way red shoes is another one of uh their films that does not have a bad guy like you i guess you could say that anton is the bad guy in that film if you needed to point one out yes but it, it's very gray the entire movie is very great colonel
1: Blink doesn't even have a bad guy yeah they have Nazis, but there's no the Nazis particular the Nazi
0: <laughs>
2: that is, you know.
0: And in A Matter of Life and Death, the Nazis are also the bad guys. <laughs> yeah. They,
2: <laughs> the, um, in, in the 49th parallel, uh, the Nazis are also bad guys.
0: So for Michael Pallenberg, Presbyterian, the only real uh, bad people in the world were I Nazis. Don't we can't really fault them. Unless, on
2: unless you're Maybe, uh,
1: or the Nazis, the good guy.
2: You're you're god fearing nun in the the black narcissist, then you're you could be uh, considered a bad guy. There. Oh yeah,
1: there's
0: no Nazis in that one. <laughs> uh, sad. Arguably, one that's got bigger flaws. Mm. Yes. So that that was a matter of life and death. It's honestly it's a it's a big recommendation for me. Yes, yeah, same. Uh, particularly if you like romance. It's romantic very films. Romantic. If you like fan like low fantasy films that are not, that are reality and fantastical um it
1: flies by it does if you like romance if you like world war
2: ii and if you like history and i I think it has some of the the best courtroom monologues it does of people just explaining their case (laughs) because you'll you'll listen to uh the patriot the bostonian talking and then you're like oh okay yeah no i totally get where he's coming from (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then uh, Dr. Reeves comes back and just hits him with, with more liberty, truth, and justice. So
0: another another small small issue with the movie is that they uh, take the the tear from uh, oh, his girlfriend uh, June and on put the it on the flower. Yeah. June. Yeah. And then they never use it as evidence. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you, you're not bringing that back? Okay, cool. Fine. I also feel like but they small. don't
1: really use the co-pilot either.
2: Because it's one of those things. They, where the I thought, co-pilot's just there for moral support. But he doesn't more than even do anything. that with moral no, support. No, they say that he's a, a witness. Oh yeah, love, but he was—he never knew him. <laughs> he's dead when they met. <laughs> yeah, I—I I love um, side little side note, little uh, screenwriter in me. Um, so the female protagonist's name is June. The uh, movie starts at the beginning of May two days before uh, Nazi Germany surrenders. Uh, And it's about uh, the UK trying to look past the war, look past May into June and move on with their lives. But uh, the world won't let them. Um, There's a little character thing that I loved.
1: And what comes after July or June? July. What happens in July? July? (laughs) America becomes a country. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it all makes sense all, now. The,
0: it's it's layers. Palpatine's behind it all. <laughs> uh, all right. So our actually, I forgot when I made this introduction that we actually have three BFI movies going on this week. Um, awesome. And our next topic, I'm gonna let Brenton stay on the call as long as he wants because yeah. he has some things to say. Maybe, maybe not. Oh, About what? Look at him. About
2: I'm going servers.
0: pee. <laughs> Leave the laptop
2: out of the bathroom. You cut this part out. That. This is what the the people don't see. Only the Patreons get to see this. Ah, if we only had. Patreon we have a
1: Patreons page, page and an OnlyFans page. Mm. It's gonna work. For so, a,
0: oh, we. This is a, an interesting episode because we, we delayed a matter of life and death from last week, and then we did not delay the. The movie from this week. Movies. And since they were two short films, we decided to put them here. Um so we have on the critic on the director's list, we have Un Chien Andalou, a Andalusian boy from Louis Louis Bun, Luis Bunuel, Bunuel and from 1928, that's on the director's list and then from it's not just the from the critics list. Well. what you gotta oh and salvador, yeah, dali. salvador yeah. dali played by adrian brody both oh well both of them are in the movie w- fun fact
1: i didn't know that adrian brody's yeah. in this movie
0: <laughs> yes baby
1: adrian brody's <laughs> in the movie he played the eyeball I'm just gonna I'm just saying this uh, right now. The first YouTube comment I read was this is an eye opening film.
0: <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. Uh, uh, and then the second short film we have so an Andalusian boy is twenty one minutes long. Second short film we have is A Day in the Country by Jean Wenoir from nineteen thirty six. That is on the critics list, and that is forty one minutes long. Yeah, And then the other, we decide to just go with the theme and say, uh, fuck it. We're going to talk about movie short films from famous directors.
2: See, that? So, that's You never told me about these specific well, uh, short no, films. You I, don't, I have, have not seen to talk about either films. of these short films that you just talked about. But that's I have seen many short films made by um, now well-known directors. Yeah, yes, so we'll same. talk
0: about the modern short films first. And then in a little bit, we'll talk. We'll, Chandler and I will have a discussion on on those two films. Perfect. So
1: uh, Okay. So just in general, short films are, I think, fun. Kind of underrated, I'll say. Uh, I'm even thinking about buying that Martin Scorsese short film collection that's coming out in Criterion in a few months. But I feel like there's two kinds of short films. The short, one-and-done conceptual short film that explores every possible angle of its story and idea in a span of five or 10 minutes and then the short films i like to consider as proof of concepts for feature films mm-hmm. i think it's an interesting way especially today that i feel like a lot of modern filmmakers get um uh, uh their start uh taika waititi's short film became what we do in the shadows miles not miles tyler damien chazelle had whiplash and then turned it into whiplash um uh, oh god what's his name the guy who did Cretia and Waves
0: uh, god, it's on the
2: tip of yeah, my yeah I know it's, it's, uh,
0: sh- it's an S it's Schultz
1: Trey Edward Schultz Trey Edward Schultz made Cretia as a short film and then he turned it into a feature film it's just an interesting way uh, but there's also the people who excel at just the short film format uh, the Pixar shorts come to mind those are kind of the go to as far as animation goes um but short films they're crazy man they're they're a great way to get your your foot in the door
0: we've all they're, made they're them
2: they're not easy well they're, i mean they're, they're, they're not, not easy to make they're, they're completely different skill set from a feature i yes.
0: think yes well it's okay so here's the thing it's y- you say that but i think it needs a little caveat in that the the artistry of filmmaking is the same yes you are not changing the way you film a short film versus the way you film a feature yes cinematic uh,
2: literacy remains the same it's a constant right. it's
0: the scripting format and the way the story yeah. works yes yeah has to be radically altered but i mean it's interesting thinking that like back in you know the early uh, days of cinema there were there were short films, like the two we on the BFI list this week. Um, and, but they were very much a separate thing altogether. There were short films, and they were kind of just pet projects of directors. They were meant to be screened before movies. They were a kind of separate thing altogether. But today you have short films, but you have everything. You can watch a piece of media that is a contained narrative that is one minute long. 2 minutes long, 5 minutes long, 20 minutes long, 30 minutes long, an hour long, an hour and a half long. So there is at least from a a looking at it from a numbers perspective, there's no difference between you can trace a feature film and find literally examples of runtimes covering every single minute down to 1 minute of film. Yes. These days there are so many options and it's it's interesting just thinking about that conceptually in that where is the line between, because we all, we all agreed that there is something exceedingly different that you have to plan for, for making a short film. But where's that line? Where, where are you saying like you're planning for a short film and you're not? And I don't necessarily want you to answer that question. It's just something to think about. And it's interesting because the film we have later a day in the country is 41 minutes long. And at that point, when do you get into a film when do, mm-hmm. when do you start thinking about you know feature film narrative in that way yeah and when do you switch that that light switch off and go into oh here's the short film narrative perspective mm-hmm. and it's just very blurred and it's interesting that
2: someone someone could do a phd dissertation on how, uh, short films that become very successful and, uh, artistic features are translated from the, the short film to the, the feature and how, uh, short films that become lackluster features are translated from the short film to the feature. I think there are some, uh, short films out there that Uh, They are very, very good short films, but uh, something happens in the the correlation between uh, writing for the the 10 minutes that you you have when you first wrote it to the 90-page screenplay where you don't expand on anything. You don't add anything, so you have this same idea, but now you're just bloating it up into a 90-minute runtime when it does not deserve that yeah i think uh um, i have examples if you if you'd like well but. i
1: got one and it is uh i gotta look it up yeah lights out have you ever seen that movie
2: the bye. the He's short film is amazing yeah
1: david f Sandberg, who's the director of shazam who has by the way an amazing youtube channel he is
2: a treasure david f
1: Sandberg <laughs> is a guy who got to start making short films he made feature mm-hmm. films, went to hollywood to make Shazam, and he has a very informative youtube channel where he just essentially breaks down lessons he's learned along his career. But David F mm-hmm. Sandberg has made a short film called Lights Out, which is so it is it's like it is the textbook example for the first feat, uh, short film I mentioned, The One and Done, Get Everything. It's a little flash in the pan spark of creativity, short, brief, to the point. It is one of the yeah. best in, as far as that goes. I think I've seen it so many times in college mm-hmm. courses. They teach it, The show it a bunch. Mm-hmm. But then he was offered to make it into a feature film. And essentially the short film is just a woman about to go to bed who sees a figure at the end of her hallway, but when she turns on the light it's gone. You know, light on, light off, light on, light off, and whatever. Jump scare. Great short film. The feature is just it's so bloated and unnecessary and meandering. And it's, I think it's one of the better examples of feature. It doesn't translate or short doesn't translate to feature. Another example, I would say the opposite. If anyone is again, to bring up whiplash, the whiplash short film is, a, have you got, you guys have both seen it, right? Whiplash. Yes, the, movie. Nope. Yeah. the whiplash.
0: Oh, well, whiplash the movie. Yes. yes
1: whiplash. No. The short film is essentially the scene in the whiplash feature where uh Fletcher turns he throws the folder he gets into the first huge verbal tirade it is essentially just that scene it still has J.K. Simmons but it has a different actor for the lead part and it's there's no it you just go straight into that scene and that is one of those things where I see it and I'm like that's not a great short film but you can Mm -hmm. see the potential in that
2: I want to I want to say so like it's a great that you bring that up because i do you know if uh damien chazelle had the feature completely written and he just picked out a 10 minute sequence that he wanted to shoot i am as like a proof of concept i'm
0: unsure but
2: that would
0: make sense Mm. that sounds correct to me i don't know though.
1: you can stretch it to justify that scene existing as its own short film i personally Mm -hmm. don't think it does but I would venture to say that that was probably the case just because that scene, that short film, is essentially the exact same as the scene in the
2: movie. It's it's almost shot for shot, yeah. I want to say. Yeah. Like there's a couple inserts that are different, but for the most part.
1: Even the delivery of J.K. Simmons is pretty yeah, simple. It, he is the same exact
0: character yeah. that
2: he is in the feature.
0: Interesting. I'll have to watch that. Um, It's okay. Just a a random question. Well, it's not about. I think it's not a matter of quality at all. I think when you come, when you get to short films, particularly by famous directors, the the question of quality goes out the window and it becomes purely a matter of what has this director done typically before. Typically, all these short films are before they became famous. And it's. You know, it's a different question when you have films by famous directors like um, Dementia 13, I think, was Francis Ford Coppola's first film. And it's utter shit. (laughs) And then, you know, The Godfather, obviously, a few years later. Um, There's no need to watch Dementia 13 because it's a feature length film. You're wasting your time. But when it comes to short films, even if they're shitty by famous directors, there's no wasting your time because they are short. Yeah. And it's interesting to watch them. And I think in a, in the case of whiplash, I would be very interested to watch that short film and seeing the juxtapositioning of like what he did before. Yeah. And then the actual film produced
2: in its full mm-hmm. entirety.
1: Interesting it, it's, um, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I was going to say it's um, with Damien Chazelle, he already made uh a feature prior to shooting yes. the, the Whiplash short film. With one
1: of the ASU professors. But, yes,
2: yes. Yeah. Wait, uh, the who? the Madeline and uh, Trombone player or something like that. It, it's Guy and Madeline on a park bench. I own it. <laughs> on DVD. Right. It's We're not getting great. a call here. There we go. Okay. Um, watching a short film by a well-known director when they were in film school is like watching uh, a childhood uh, archive videotape of when you were a toddler. Uh, and you kind of see where their roots are yeah. and how yeah. they, they extend. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Doodlebug, which is I, Christopher Nolan's short I film. I was going
0: to watch it, but I didn't.
2: Uh, it Whatever you think Christopher Nolan would make in uh, film school, that that's what Doodlebug is. Oh, Whatever you're God. imagining with, like, structure. Uff. So uh, and, just a regular Christopher of a, Nolan movie, then. It's a it's a Christopher Nolan film through and through. Uh, I can tell you guys what it is if, if you'd like. <laughs> I, well,
0: I just want to comment and saying say that the, it's it's good to hear you say that. And I think it's good for, like, a lot of young filmmakers, almost. I mean, I don't want to diminish the fact that the work you do in in college is incredibly important to your your future success mm-hmm. in any in any yes yeah. right mm-hmm. um, but at the same time it is nice to see short films by famous directors that are of lesser quality yes. that are not I as don't... good that are that kind of like oh, baby film i don't see as much of them because they don't survive as as well have you seen uh, kubrick's um, first movie Uh well The point is, it gives you hope. As like, no, I'm saying Kubrick's first movie is terrible, (laughs) right? Right, horrible. Francis Ford Coppola as well. Yeah, and it's it's good to see these things in that as a filmmaker, there is something intangible about growing as an artist Mm -hmm. beyond college or beyond your first feature or beyond whatever that something does change. It's not you're not stuck with the artist, the artistic sensibility you have today, Mm -hmm. forever. I do want to recommend to another hear. one. Uh, yes. Yeah. I hate, <laughs> I know you don't like this movie, Jacob, but
1: I just want to tell you the Bottle Rocket short film. As somebody who loves Bottle Rocket, it sucks. <laughs> it sucks <laughs> so much. <laughs> Maybe I'll I, it. You it. Know, here's another thing I want to bring up, because there's a third avenue of short film, and this is really stretching the definition, but another way that I see a lot um for as far as people getting their movie made is that they make trailers before mm-hmm. uh a notable example would be the coen brothers blood symbol that was a trailer they shot a bunch of shots for a trailer cut it all together made it really exciting showed that trailer to investors in minnesota got a bunch of money together to make the feature
0: uh the mm. the that's essentially like how people do with crowdfunding these days yes they like, put like proof of concepts on GoFundMe, or you know another one to get money the the
1: the planet terror death proof double feature when it was out had these amazing horrible schlocky trailers done by famous directors edgar wright did one um i forget his name spy kids he's probably done better movies than the spy kids but oh robert uh, rodriguez Robert Rodriguez, <laughs> who not only did planet terror did one
2: alita battle angel <laughs> is the better film that you're thinking <laughs> <laughs> but the the one uh hobo with a shotgun the
1: movie with um roy batty i forget his name whatever that movie hobo with rutger hauer the movie with rutger hauer hobo with a shotgun was initially a trailer as well and these aren't short films but these are also fun but what is a short mm-hmm. film what is a short film
2: right it's
0: a shorter film
2: yeah it's it's you know but uh it's like trying to trying to pinpoint what's art you know yeah
0: yeah it's if you were in college the the kind of academic definition that doesn't necessarily work for every short film um would be that it is a singular event conflict or um yeah um i'm forgetting the the terminology that i'm looking for but a single conflict like mm-hmm. where a film develops a conflict over time a short film is just about getting to the point of that conflict and the resolution in a scene the essentially
2: the main thing that u s c keeps stressing uh to all their students is your short film should be on some level a calling card for what your um like uh sympathies are towards your art and uh what your stylistic um uh what's the your word? personal style is thank you yes yeah um and you get that a lot, uh, where I, I think some people think they need to make the greatest film that revolutionizes cinema uh, with their short film, but that's really not the case. I, I can think of a couple. Um, Robert Zemeckis' short film, I don't know if you've seen oh, it. Oh, Marwin. Uh, Welcome to Marwin. Uh, I think that's a feature yeah, that he I'm made. Just kidding. It's <laughs> the one Steve worked on yeah. um, he made a a Twilight Zone ripoff of a guy that couldn't catch an elevator in his apartment, so he constantly walked up the stairs uh trying to get to the open doors before they closed, and then he had a heart attack and then he died. <laughs> Super simple <laughs> that's all it was
0: I love that it so one of those films that I'm thinking about that are like you look at it and it's very much a progression of the director like mm -hmm. it's something the director has made is I actually just today I watched uh, Vincent which is Tim Burton's first short film Mm -hmm. and it's a animated stop motion short and it's just uh, a little boy uh, named Vincent is like very like a normal little boy, except that he wants to be Vincent Price, who's you know <laughs> plays all these horror movies. That's the most and Tim just,
1: Burton thing I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah, it's just a bunch of scenes <laughs> of him,
0: of him like Tim Burton is uh, of like Vincent is nice to his aunt when he come when she comes Does over. He do a Vincent Price, but he place? really wants to make her into wax oh. and put her in a museum, right? Like it's just a bunch of different versions of that of like morbid kind of yeah um real life to morbid Mm -hmm. uh transition and it's looking at it it's like one it's one of the first things tim burton ever did and it's incredibly tim burton and it's interesting to see there are some directors like that where just the short film is like more than a calling card it might be like a manifesto for their existence as a director
2: there there is a um a short film by uh barry jenkins um when he was at NYU or Columbia, I forget where he went, but, um, it, it's very much a him film. Uh, all it is, is a, uh, right after world war or right after, um, nine 11, it's a New York, uh, laundry mat owner. Who's also a uh, Saudi Arabian, uh, talking about how much he loves the American flag. But when he's talking about the American flag, uh, all it is is shots of his wife. Um, and it, it, it's kind of poetic in a very unique way, but it, it almost makes no sense. Um, but at the same time, it shows all of his sensibilities uh, that he uses to the nines now. Um, but then you have you have other uh, short films like coffee and cigarettes. I don't know if you've seen. Hey, hey Paul wait, Thomas no, Anderson. He's
1: talking about Paul Thomas Anderson.
2: Oh, yeah. which which one are? you? Uh, we were, is there another Jim coffee Jarmusch. and Jim cigarettes? Jim
1: Jarmusch. Okay, this is. A,
2: oh, oh, okay. Uh, Jim well, Jarmusch yeah.
1: made a feature film that is just ten short films all revolving around coffee and cigarettes. But I have seen mm-hmm. the one you're talking about.
2: Okay, I have not. Yes it's um it's a great precursor <laughs> to magnolia yes uh i think that he you turned it, it into heart eight right did he not and i don't know if he turned it into heart eight
1: but i know the main guy in heart eight the older man
2: who's in the, a lot mm-hmm. of the early pta movies is in this movie
1: Mag- yes is, is isn't john c Riley also in it
2: no no not that's this just heart heart 8.
1: 8. okay yeah
2: yeah there there is another famous actor that you would know their face. Yeah. But I do not well, know. Well the their thing name.
1: is I've seen Heartache, but I've only seen the version that's available on YouTube, which is horrible VHS quality. Okay. But no, it yeah, Well,
2: I've only seen Coffee and Cigarettes, which is a horrible like betamax yeah. rip yes. of uh, the original thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then you have you have other um, notable directors like Steven Spielberg's Amblin. I don't know if you've ever seen mm-hmm. uh, the I've Amblin heard of short. It. I mean it's Man, a seen it. It's a 30-minute long music video uh, that just tells the story visually. Uh, I think it's fantastic, uh, but I am also super biased <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. towards Steven Spielberg. So uh, I think that uh, kind of speaks for itself. So but,
0: I'd like to just state that we need to wrap up the general conversation about short films. Okay. Um, so final thoughts on that, and then Chandler and I need to get on to the BFI.
1: Yeah, and the ones uh, that we should to each other.
0: Yes, yes. Oh yes,
2: okay. short oh. films are a, yes are are a great avenue. Uh, short films are a great avenue to experiment with the medium of cinema and uh, see where you can tell to- stories and what constitutes a satisfying narrative. Um, because some of uh, the greatest films ever made started out. As just conceptual short films uh, that people took a chance on, and then uh, developed into something bigger. Yeah, um, the experiment
1: is a huge part of it because I think even yes. now, like someone like David Lynch, who almost only makes exclusively short films now, there if you if you see a shitty short film, you move on with your life. Whereas if you see mm-hmm. a shitty movie feature, you're kind of mad for a little bit. It is the yep. perfect low stakes medium to just try anything
0: yes and i i think another way of putting that is that if you show a shitty short film to a potential investor they'll stop thinking about it and just move on to other proposals Mm -hmm. if you show a shitty movie to an investor and you're trying to make your second feature film uh they're gonna look at you and they're gonna they know you can't
1: okay we're checking you off their list yeah they're gonna
0: blacklist you you. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah right um, and I think with short films it's it's let me speak from personal experience for a second here. It's good to experiment with short films, mm-hmm. um, but it's also good to have a very concrete idea of what you're doing before you do it. Mm-hmm. yep in that i some of some of the short films that I did in college, I look back on now as I needed to have done them differently, although I am happy to have done them the way I did them because I learned a lot from that. Mm-hmm. And it's also important that like, if you're going to experiment, make sure you're looking for the lessons in that experiment after you're done. Mm-hmm. And you're not just abandoning that project and moving completely onto something else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Any other wrapping up thoughts brenton
2: before we kick yes you uh thank you for having me uh, <laughs> thank the, you for, uh the the, the last the short time. film i, I want to yes for the very first time uh it was a brand new wholesome experience <laughs> uh seeing everything and hearing everything for the, the very very first time um there there's one short film that everyone should watch and it should be mandatory uh and that is the next floor um, is that the Denise um, one, new one? That Denis that Denis. is that is the Denis Villeneuve film oh, that's so you mean got the him Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and it is my favorite short film. Uh,
0: it's it's one of those short films where it's an un, un un idea an idea that's just explored
2: and then it's done. Yes,
1: that's all I have. And to it's say. great.
2: Uh, but yeah, thank you for having me, guys. It was a pleasure. Of course, I, I hope. Um, thank you for being here. This time the audio works. <laughs> I'm sure it will. I'll, I'll make it It is still recording on my end, so if
0: not, I can dub it. There's something. <laughs> we'll just dub <laughs> yeah. everything. All right. Well, uh, thank you, uh, thank you for being That's
2: on the, the podcast. Yes.
0: We look forward to your next grand entrance to
2: the the podcast. Wonderful. Wonderful. Next. When this episode gets lost. <laughs> my my next first time <laughs> on the podcast. Your third first time. Yes. Yeah. All, All right. It. Goodbye. Enjoy talking about the other two short films.
0: Okay, so what do we want to discuss first? Which one?
1: I want to, let's let's discuss the ones we recommended to each other.
0: Okay, so let's. Uh, Chandler recommended the short film "Cousins" to me by Jim Jarmusch, which is part of his longer anthology of short films that he filmed over twenty coffee and years. cigarettes. Yeah. So, Cousins stars Alfred Molina and... Steve Coogan. What's his... Steve Coogan. (laughs) And they they meet in a coffee... They both play themselves and uh, they meet in a coffee shop. So, uh, I don't know if you just want to quickly go into why you recommended me this and then I'll let you know what I think. I
1: I really enjoy the Caffeine Cigarettes film overall. Some really, really high highs and some eh lows make for a pretty good anthology uh, film. Uh, but this one, of all of them, I th- it might... It's, it's not my favorite. It's probably my second or third favorite, but I think it's the funniest. <laughs> I think Steve Coogan is such an asshole in this. And Alfred Molina is so genuine. And I love the way that the power dynamic switches. You can just see Steve Coogan sort of recoil at his own assholery and I just find it to be the funniest of the ten. So,
0: with Jim Jarmusch, I'm not always into his films. Uh, mostly because his his style as a director is very slow-paced very, and naturalistic. Have you heard him he just, talk?
1: No. He talks exactly like his movies are. Of course he does. Very slow, very deep voice, but very funny.
0: You know, it's just a a... Capturing of of life kind of in meteoress kind of situation with him.
1: It's kinda if you don't get immediately on board with the characters, you are going to slog through his movies.
0: Yeah, quit. Quit while you're ahead yeah. if you're not on board. Yeah. Um But I'd have to say that I think the short film is the the medium of choice for <laughs> Jim jarmusch for me. Uh because even if I'm not on board with the characters, that there is a a quickly, a quickly, fast approaching ending. This is the
1: longest right. of the short films, though, in this anthology. Really? Yeah, it is the
0: longest. It, so, uh, Cousins, question mark, I really enjoyed this. This was great. It was really funny. I would <laughs> agree so with funny. you with that, on that. And then uh, Steve Coogan asks Albert Melita, are you gay? <laughs> <laughs> and they have this awkward conversation based around that. There's a lot of great... Uh, pregnant pauses between the two of them. Oh my god. The conversation's just left hanging. <laughs> the, Great. Like there's a difference. I've seen pregnant pauses in college short films where it it they're absolutely horrifying <laughs> to watch. You never want to have yeah. a college film pregnant pause. Yeah. This is a different. This is like real. This is acting. The, with purpose like a pause with purpose and it it works really well. I
1: the,
0: the the funniest thing about this movie is I wonder
1: why Steve Coogan even agreed to have coffee with him. <laughs> from the from
0: minute 1 he seems so disinterested. Um it was it was interesting because I was spending a lot of the film the first half of the film really just kind of like pinning down like what's the dynamic between the two characters? Uh I wasn't sure for a while. And it i don't know it for a short film it really worked on a, on a sense of like just character uh conflict yeah. of where like one character has a goal another character has another goal mm-hmm. steve coogan's goal is to get the fuck out of there <laughs> which just makes it very funny because alfred molina is you're right he's so earnest and i felt bad for him the entire time i'm like yes i want to be your friend alfred molina yeah, he's such a nice i'd love guy. to be your cousin
1: uh, th- yeah but that's the thing is that this this it's just short film I love it because it's so simple but at the same time there is a clear structure to it it's a micro structure where the acts change mid sentence but it mm. is a very complete story um, oh yeah and you know th- all of these short films the one thing that is consistently great through all ten of these is the shots of coffee are amazing the coffee looks delicious.
0: This... Okay, so this short film... I know you've only seen one film by this director, but... Uh, Hong Sang-so, uh, who did... Korean film director who did The Day He Arrives. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this feels very much like his filmography. I've watched a lot of his movies over the past couple of months. Which, The, the Day He Arrives... Black and white, yeah. usually, and people just talking. yeah. And it's just character dynamics. And that's the th- That's
1: the whole sh- uh, movie is just people talking. But it's, it's it's just how interesting you find these characters.
0: Yeah, this made me want to watch the rest of them. So I guess this is my recommendation for <laughs> the, Jim Jarmusch's Coffee and Cigarettes. The,
1: the Coffee and Cigarettes, the best ones are this one. There's one with Bill Murray and members of the Wu-Tang Clan. And then there's one with Tom Waits and Iggy Pop that is just so Jim Jarmusch, (laughs) it hurts. But yeah, there's not really a lot to say about this because it's so simple. It's just enjoyable.
0: Yeah, there's one of the things I found very likable about the comedy is the um, very natural way of there's expectation set up by the conversation. Yeah. And a subversion of that expectation, which is traditionally that's what comedy Mm -hmm. is, if you're really boiling it down um and one of the examples of that is like i said uh steve coogan says uh, you're not gay are you and then the conversation goes on and a little while later alfred molina tells him all i want you to do is acknowledge this extraordinary thing and love me and i just cracked up laughing because you you have that mind the idea in your head that steve coogan's asking him is he gay and then he says this later on like you're not helping your case this is funny but well, you're so earnest, right? But that's, and th- that's this subversion of yeah, just normal conversation. That's what
1: I love about it is Steve Coogan literally has no reason to be an asshole to the extent that he is. I mean, this, it's not like this is some random fan who's trying to have this. They're both in the same league of actor. If anything, I feel like Alfred Melina is probably a little more popular
0: then yeah, that's what i was gonna say coogan <laughs> but i didn't want to state it out loud
1: coogan's just an asshole for no reason but he's such a funny asshole but yeah yeah it's great. It's, it's fun it's a fun time it's it's that kind of short film where y- there's nothing really going on aside from the director's style i saw this was the yeah this is my first genre movie and this is what made me want to check out everything And it was at this point during the short film where I was just... Again, the comedic timing, not only in the performances, but the editing is fantastic. Like you said, the pregnant pause. It's so painfully awkward, but in the best way possible.
0: Yeah, so our next short film that I recommended to Chandler was Wasp Wasp from 2003. What is Wasp? Wasp
1: is... uh, uh, it's white trash art is what it is. I It's British white it trash It is, art. Yeah, it is... Whew. It is essentially a story about a mother who lives in a not-so-great part... A very poor mother living in a not-so-great part of uh, England who has four children, no father in the picture, and they're obviously very poor. They have moldy bread. They have a bug problem. Their house is just in... Total disarray. And the film opens on the mother fighting a neighboring mother because her child got into a fight with her child. It's a great way to start off. It shows well, the dynamic. To say
0: fighting, it's it's like they're cursing each other out. There's a little things bit of physical air. contact. There, uh, the the mother is clearly. It's interesting that like the mother is clearly a bad influence. Yes, in a way. Yes um we're not really given there's no like social commentary really going on no here. it's not saying like it she's put in here by a society it, yeah or anything. It's, it's just showing it shows us how the mother is yeah this very vulgar person it shows us how bad
1: their situation is but doesn't point any fingers as to how they got yeah. there uh it's a very simple story where this mother runs into an ex-boyfriend and lies to the ex-boyfriend that those aren't hers her kids she's just babysitting them so they'll go on a date and then there's a movie that i watched earlier this year called daddy long legs which is safty brothers movie um, that is very similar in the fact that it is just a movie about in daddy long legs you can say eccentric here i'm not gonna go as far as the color eccentric she's just not that great of a mother She's just a bitch. She really is. I mean that nicely.
0: That's how you would describe her. Yes. As a person. She
1: is just not very friendly. But the thing is about this movie is that she is a largely unsympathetic character, but she's not completely unsympathetic. She does have, in a way, a, a, a motherly instinct, a loyalty to her children, even if she leaves her kids out in front of a bar for six hours unattended. She obviously cares for her kids. It's just
0: that she isn't a
1: very good
0: mom. (laughs) Yeah. So I a little history with the short film. I watched this. My professor showed me this in college. My capstone professor who was trying to drill into all of our heads. Here's like a simple short film that it works really well uh, just because of its story. Not necessarily because of visuals or anything. Yeah. So it was an example in class. And that's how it was presented to me at first. And I have since gone on uh, to watch some of the director's uh, Andrea Arnold Did you see American Honey? I did not. No, is that her? That is her,
1: yeah. Oh, wow. Have you seen it? I have not. It's one of those movies that I have seen a lot of stills and scenes from. I just think that is not for me. But after seeing this short film, I'm considering it.
0: Yeah, I... Saw, Fish Tank, okay. which I think it has one of the same actors. It has Michael Fassbender. In, oh, interesting! In one of a really great role, like he's awesome in that in that film. Yeah. Um, and I'd really recommend like watch wasp. It's an interesting short. film. It story. is. It's really good. And if you like that, it's really good. Her film Fish Tank is just a feature length, not the same story, yeah. but the same style. This, right. This
1: is kind of the perfect short film because it works in its own, you know, structure as its own short film. It explores every avenue of the possible story. Uh nothing feels underdeveloped, everything feels just as clear and concise as it needs to be, but at the same time you can also see where this director's sensibilities lay and you could see the potential for a feature adaptation. It's it's kind of the perfect short film in that sense. It's, you know, it it, it uh, stylistically it runs into the same problems as a lot of short films do where it's a lot of just shaky cam coverage just because it's the most economic way to shoot to get the most out of limited availability. but I don't think that ever really it, it, it's a style that works for this kind of movie because
2: mm-hmm. it's a very yeah.
1: frantic, very chaotic, very intimate energy to it all um, and especially in the beginning just when you know we're meeting these characters and we're cutting between. Them just close ups of their face. I think it really works in that um d- opening scene.
0: Yeah, so you liked it. I, I do. I, it. I really liked it. Just yeah. Out. Okay. It good.
1: was. It was the. Good. I also, just want to point out. I love white trash movies, and there is this American conception of English people that the stereotypical English person in our mind has always been the 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 lead actor in a matter of life and death the eloquent the uh uh, educated soft-spoken polite gentleman and i love seeing just white trash english people because it is a complete subversion of that idea we've grown accustomed to it was like the florida project but in england oh yeah yeah Yeah. it makes me wonder if sean baker has seen this because it's very similar probably
0: yeah i'm just gonna state for the record that if you're into the the British white trash thing here you specifically Chandler and then I guess anyone I who's do. listening Fish Tank I highly recommend it um, okay it's maybe not as consistently good if that makes yeah, sense yeah yeah just because it's a feature yeah, and yeah. it's a little I can see how this opportunity for issues yeah. um but it is I think more than worthwhile watching because it is uh a very unique individual voice coming out mm-hmm. of the UK and seeing a side of Britain that you know yeah a lot of films don't show To lead into our next short film, I would like to say that this is wasp in particular is it is a short, um, it is a short film, not a short film. So what I mean by that is it is a just it is a shorter version of a movie. Yeah, I agree. It's not like it's not like Next Floor, which is just a single concept and it's very clearly a short. Is a very clear three
1: act structure.
0: Yes. Wasp could be a a longer movie. It would not. You just have to put more scenes into it. Yeah. It's not a short film where you'd have to redesign everything from the ground up to make it a feature. So another film, one of our BFI films this week was uh, A Day in the Country. Yep. And I think that is very much a, even by the director's omission, it's a short movie. Not a short film. Yeah. Even though it is only 40 minutes long.
1: Uh Okay, so we're just jumping into this then, because my issue with this movie, as much as I liked it, is that it makes it very clear from the beginning that this is an unfinished work. And I agree in the sense that I feel like there is a first and a third act and no second act.
0: So, a little bit about A Day in the Country. It is a film from 1936. 1936, for, by Jean Renoir, who is related to maybe the son of the the famous painter Renoir, mm-hmm. the impressionist. So a, a very high pedigree of family here we're talking about. And it is 41 minutes long. It was incomplete. It's one of those movies that I think the backstory behind the film makes it so much more interesting than the actual film itself. Okay. Is Cause I don't know the backstory because the genre Renoir. It, the film he made before this, which I just found out today by watching some of the behind-the-scenes features, yeah, was le- legitimate communist propaganda. <laughs> the Communist Party of France hired him to make a movie, and he made one for them. And then he went from that overt political statement to this, which is very much just, here's a day in the country. Why not? Just show you some some inconsequential... Li- uh, Frolicking in the grass, right? And this film was shot over the period of like fifty days, and only thirty of those days actually had any footage shot at all. And so, so what were they what doing? I got the, the other sense 20? from, I got the sense from behind the scenes features that Jean Renoir, he's either like working like one hundred percent, or he's not working at all, and he's just wow dicking around on set. Um, Interesting. Don't quote me on that. That's just the feeling I got. And the short film, this film was actually, uh, John Renoir had to leave and it was just sitting around for a while. I think the producer got someone else to direct a few of the shots they needed. And then World War II broke out and the producer was Jewish, so he had to flee. And the film literally just sat in a storage room for the entirety of World War II, which is amazing because a lot of films were burnt and destroyed in in World War II. It just sat there. And then later on, the a relative of one of the, the people who worked on the film edited it without genre noir whatsoever and put it uh and and then made it into an actual what we see today, and it was shown at the very first Cannes Film Festival.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Which
0: it this film has a extraordinarily eventful history to it. And then it's um, just And it's this. It's just kind of yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: amazing yeah i mean it, again though what i've what i see is not that it's not bad or anything it's just that there is a i i enjoy the characters i enjoy their performances i enjoy the way that it captures the countryside i just don't see okay i'm just gonna be honest with you when the frenchman and the parisian's daughter were going to the forest and they started kissing. It kind of looked like he was raping her or trying to rape her. No, yeah. yeah. It,
0: yeah. And then it jumps. It's the old, just kiss him until they yeah. uh, they want it. Tactic. But
1: that's the thing is, though, that the, her face before, you know, they go down, she looks traumatized. And then mm-hmm. it cuts to the very end, or, you know, cuts, cuts forward. And, Epilogue. Yeah, sort and of. they have this sort of, it's almost like in The Mood for Love where they were in love but they didn't end up together and it's tragic. But at no yeah. point did I feel like they were in love. There was a romance. They it it, it was barely a summer fling. If you could even I'd call it that. I'd say that
0: the film in terms of its plot falls apart in the end. Yeah. Because there is nothing there footage-wise. Like it just was incomplete. Yeah, And it's very Parent. And that's what I mean so. by
1: there's a first and a third act. There's no second act. There is no yeah. these two falling
0: um, in love. Well, I feel like it's the end of the second and the beginning of the third act that was cut out. Yeah, like the the important chunk of the narrative was cut out yeah. there, and it's it's interesting because I see a lot of a lot of inspiration from this film to a lot of other ones, mm-hmm. uh, just. I don't know. It it there were moments in the film. This is one of those movies that I watch it and it inspires me to create something because I know I could potentially do something at least as good as this or yeah. better. I don't want to say so, but it is a work incomplete in that sense. And the fact that it's incomplete as a, a film an aspiring filmmaker myself leaves me my mind like rushing to fill the gaps of like, what else could you do with this idea? Yeah. And I love the idea of just, it's just a family who is going to the country and there's two guys there who chase after the girls and the father and the, the engaged guy or whoever who they're just Oh fish and they're fishing and they don't care about the women they came with. And it's charming.
1: I love that. It's, it's almost like a a subversion where it's the city people that are being taken advantage of by the country people. Usually that's not how it goes. Um, But another thing that I thought was pretty great was just the little mini monologue that the, the not as horny French countryman tells to the (laughs) hornier one where he's just like, you know, if you, you know, if you, you get with this girl and then she's going to have a kid and i can't picture you settling down so it's even worth it but then he goes and does it so then i'm like okay the one thing that i thought was really good doesn't even turn out to make any sense so yeah, yeah
0: for me as my sensibilities as making films the parts that i really enjoyed were some of the uh, the scenes on the river yeah they're very placid very peaceful yeah, very nice. and then there's some there's some like m- in transitions, uh, shots yeah, yeah. where it's just the rain on the river and it's very nice, and like this is like stuff I'd love to take inspiration from in the future, yeah. But as watching it, it's so incomplete, yeah, and it's so I agree. Even what's there is just it's okay, it's simple, it's you know, I can't say it's bad, I can't say it's good, no, I can't say it's bad, I can't say it's great, yeah, it's um, fine. I'd love to see what. Jean Renoir originally had planned. Yeah, I agree. You never can You never will. Yeah. Um, and as it stands, obviously, this is on the BFI list. I've made my point incredibly clear the last time we talked about a short film. Short films don't belong on this list. This one in particular. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Yeah. To lead into our next one, Jean Renoir is actually in this movie. He is the, the owner. He's only in like one or two shots. He's the owner oh, of the okay. house that serves the fish. Interesting. I, I don't know talks about Frank fish
1: yeah yeah
0: and then louis uh, louis benwell is also in uh an Andalusian dog he's the the man who cuts the the very first person you see is him oh director.
1: yeah i right. didn't so I, let's move on to. That i looked one. at louis benwell's
0: filmography
1: um and it was interesting that it was you know Un and then the street charm of the bourgeoisie and there's a 50 year gap in between those which i just found really interesting. Uh but yeah, un how how what is it again? the pronunciation? Well, you I'm the wrong person. Okay, for well that. this it's it's, it's Okay. And, Unchen Andalou, which it, is an Andalou boy whatever. An Andaluchian boy boy is a surreal short film um created by
0: was it, Salvador, Salvador Dali, Dali and Louis
1: well It is a film where <laughs> stuff happens, <laughs> and I don't mean that. That's about as that's what I. And say. I don't mean because here's the thing: I watched this for the first time like a month or two ago. I thought that was cool. I don't know what it means, and for the longest time, I just thought, oh, I must be dumb. I just don't understand the metaphor. And then it wasn't until today that I looked up where they're like, yeah, it means nothing. <laughs> it's not supposed to mean anything. And then I'm like, oh, well, okay. And I like it a little bit more in retrospect because of that. Um, it is a movie that is most famously has the shot of an eye being slit. Which I still don't know how they did that.
0: Oh, it's it's like a goat. Oh, is it? It's always yeah, it's a like goat. A dead goat it's think. always a goat or a cat. Yeah. It's... Ugh, it, I hate eyes. Yeah, it. It <sighs> Anything dealing with puncturing an eye. Well, this is... And I will leave the room. Yeah.
1: Uh, So the film is essentially um, I read into the production where it was Louis Benwell and Salvador Dali essentially discussed their weird surreal dreams and they compiled a bunch of them together into a movie. And that's really all it is, is scene after scene of these insanely strange sequences that aren't connected by any sort of narrative or even theme or logic. It is it is more than anything a painting brought to life, specifically a Salvador Dali painting.
0: Yeah, I'd almost want to say that they're all kind of bridged by a Freudian attraction yeah. between characters. of Every scene is a man and a woman and the relationship between them. And then the next scene is a some idea that jumps off of yeah. that right like the, the a man watches the, i don't know where even to begin with this I, short it's, film. so i'll just say that like this film clearly has a huge impact on cinema in the future that you know, makes no makes no sense. If you've ever seen a movie that makes no sense, yes, I, I suppose you could trace its roots back to this. Yeah, that is surreal. Anything that it doesn't conform to a traditional narrative, yep. you you can probably trace it back to this. In some a way. lot of David Lynch in and, this too. Oh yeah, <laughs> a lot of it. But this seems like ideas. Some early filmmakers were expressing ideas in clunky ways that are interesting to watch because it is so surreal and so kind of like disjointed in its effect and you're looking for those bridges between the narrative and like trying to catch up to it and if it was an hour long it wouldn't like at a feature length it wouldn't work but it's 20 minutes long so you're just yeah you're there and then you're done um and today you i don't want to sound like exactly sacrilegious by saying this but like you you i've seen a lot of these ideas done yeah in films better and by better i mean just more the idea has blossomed into a full-blown flower of the surrealism has is portrayed in a way that doesn't feel kind of start and stoppy that this did and just new yeah in a way that I agree isn't complete uh
1: yeah, but you know, I give this I give this film extra credit one because of the time period it was made in. The film is very much in its infancy at this time. Um and there wasn't really a lot to go off of as far as influences go, and I think for the time this is actually pretty amazing with the, some of the stuff they managed to pull off. And not only that, but it's just brave of them to make something this even cuz again, even by today's standards, a lot of it's kind of shocking. And I can't even imagine what it must have been like to watch this almost a hundred years ago. But yeah, there's really not much to say. It is an art exhibit.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I don't know. I feel like I've been a little harsh on it. Well, yeah, because it's really, it's an interesting short film. It's
1: interesting and it is the, uh, unlike A Day in the Country, where that is a short film that mirrors the sort of structure or emotional logic of a feature film. This is very much a short film in that it, it has no real structure. It's all experimentation. And in that sense, I think it's pretty great.
0: Um, Yeah. Where I could see like a day in the country is just a shorter movie and you might like, I might let it slide on this list if it was better, right? Yeah, because it is just a shorter version of a longer movie. Yeah, this is so much so a short film, so much so not a narrative feature in the way, in any way that you would think about yeah. it. Yeah, and it's almost just different, like a sketch, a surrealist sketch. Yep, uh, short. And if you're making a list for the BFI list, if you're making a list like the most innovative films of all time yeah. this is up there like i'd put it even farther up on that list than it is here yeah but on a list of the greatest movies ever made i'm severely questioning some logic of some people
1: yeah this on here.
0: so then to get to the question
1: i assume you wouldn't i've already okay. answered it at least twice I think. i'm gonna say yeah it does it does Go, again, go I ahead. give it Wow, look at that. I tape. don't necessarily think that short films should be on either, but again, uh the context, the the bravery, the influence, it is the it it you I usually don't give these kind of movies a, a pass, but I'm going to do it this time.
0: I'll echo you in the sentiment that of the three short films on this BFI list, I think that I think we're done after this. Oh, thank God. <laughs> the, this is the one zero to eat. Yes, we had uh, a day in the country, and we had uh, an Andalusian dog. This is the one that deserves to be on here. If I had to choose, yes, Bill, because the other two are just like
1: okay. These are kind of shittier versions of what would be pretty decent feature films. This is something that I think works. It can only work in this format. Yeah. So yeah, got recommend it. It's a pretty short watch. It's freaky, even by today's standards.
0: Yeah, 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 pretty good. It's pretty good. Okay, um, I will just close out by saying that I'm not really, if you're a filmmaker, I guess. Yeah. Like, I don't know who I'd recommend this No, No, it, it, yeah. It's interesting because I am me, and I'm really into film, film history, and all that. But other than that, I'm not sure what kind of application it has in a wider audience, even though it is interesting.
1: it It has every barrier of entry. It's very old. It is black and white. It is foreign. It is short. It makes no goddamn sense. <laughs> it is about as... But it is short, so maybe that is, if anything, a pro. But yeah, I don't know who I would recommend this to outside of people who share interests. But, you know, it's 21 minutes.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, wow, we talked about four short films in a little bit of depth. And we talked about short films in general. And we talked about a matter of life and death. This was a jam-packed, a jam-packed episode. Jam-packed
1: episode. You don't need another episode for at least a month.
0: Yep. <laughs> so the next movie we have on our list is the Los Olvidados from nineteen fifty. Is that a Spanish movie? It is. This is uh, it translates to the young translates to the young and the damned. Okay. It is directed by, uh, also, a coincidence, I think not, Louis Bunuel. Oh, okay. Redemption. And this is... Second chance. This is, so, uh, An Andalusian Dog is a Spanish short film. It was made in Spain. Oh. This is a Mexican short film. So, so they speak Mexican. Other side of the Atlantic. Okay. Yeah. It is on uh, Amazon Prime for free if you have Amazon Prime. Oh,
1: interesting. Okay. Awesome.
0: So it's an hour and 20 minutes amazing long. we have no idea what else we're doing next week we'll so figure it out we'll figure it we'll
1: out figure it out yeah